Hello, hello, hello. This is Dr. Andre Little Mason, also known as Dr. Dula. And this is another Birth Her Story blog. I call them interviews, but they're really conversations with amazing Black women who I feel are just, you know, so amazing that I have to share them with other people. Today, we have Rebecca Artist Jackson. Rebecca Jackson Artist. See, I knew it. I was going to ask. I was like, what? that's why I paused. I said, watch me get And I don't edit. I don't edit. So You are not the only one. Okay. I'm like, dang it. I try to get this thing right. Okay. Artist is the artist, isn't it? Okay. Rebecca Jackson. Jackson artist. And I should know that because whatever. But um, it's not like I just met you. But <laughs> but um, she is just an amazing person. I met her, honestly, I think I met you at um, Shafia Monroe's workshop. And she was here in Chicago talking about breastfeeding. And I went on to take a class with Rebecca. She is phenomenal. Um, uh, a breastfeeding class with, with Rebecca. And just amazing. She's moved now. But she's just the kind of person that people need to know. I remember the stories. I remember how she, you know, coming into birth work can be kind of intimidating in a culture that's not really necessarily celebrating you at the time. And I remember how she just admonished us to get in there, to get in there, you know. And so she's somebody we need to meet. She's also had home births, a home birth before. Um, so we're going to have a lot to talk about. And she's doing other things now that to me just exemplify how Black women are coming to this work. Um, from all these different places, from all these different fields, working at it, you know, really deeply, going to do other stuff, still involved in it, just all those things. So, hi, Rebecca. Please tell the people who you are, beautiful. Well, hello. How you doing? <laughs> uh, I thank you for um, sharing this time and space with me. I appreciate it. And thank you for welcoming in your your cipher space. I appreciate that. Um, okay, just I I you know when people ask me, Rebecca, can you tell me <laughs> about the work you do and a little bit about you? I'm like, are, are you sure? Like because it's so <laughs> it's so hard to condense in like a minute. And that's why we don't have to do it in a minute. You get to oh, tell Lord. whatever. Oh Lord. Well okay, um I um I guess okay I'm a I'm right now I'm an actor and a writer and um, an actor, writer, and comedian and filmmaker and producer and that's what I'm doing and at the same time I'm like low key helping people on their very progressive campaigns, uh, political campaigns. I I yes, I have revealed that. People don't know that I'm doing that. But yes, yeah. I'm low key doing that. Uh, because I'm, I'm tired of talking about it and I'm and it's time to be about it. Um, and anyway, so that's what I'm doing. Um, and at the same time, I low key still help, uh, moms postpartum with lactation and with empowering them during, in, in birth. Um, I just, 
I don't really let it be known too much because one, I don't have time to take on a lot of clients. Yeah. So it's usually old clients that like, <laughs> you know, refer me and they're like, Rebecca, you help me so much. Come on, you have to help my sister or my cousin or, or my coworker. And so I do. Um, and I think, is that all I'm doing right now? I think that's all I'm doing. I think, I don't know. Cause it's like, I got so much going on right now that I'm just yes. like, okay, I think that's it. But yeah, that's, that's pretty much me. I'm from Chicago, born on the South side, raised in the North suburbs. Um, went to Hampton university. One of my husband doesn't like when I say it's the best four years of my life, but <laughs> I'll say it's four of the best years of my life. Um, I, I did a ton of theater in Chicago, ton of theater, uh, to the point I literally got sick of, of, and that, that's what you know, that's what you know you've done too much theater. Like, yes. when, when somebody asks you to be in their production, and, and, and this is not like, and I always tell people, I'm theater elitist. I'm a theater elitist. So I'm not talking about no church basement theater. Mm-mm. <laughs> I'm not talking about no theater like, oh, we're going to do some street theater. No. Mm-mm. <laughs> I'm talking about like full on equity theater. Um, and if you're in the theater world, you know what I mean when I say equity theater, union based, high quality, uh, full time. This is my only income acting theater. And so, yeah, when somebody like, <laughs> I remember they were like, oh, Rebecca, you should be in my show. And I was like, you know, it was like just before I got married. And I was like, you know what? I'll be in your show, but I'm tired. Like, <laughs> and I was just tired. And I, um, yeah, and I got married and I went off to L.A. And I, I started out doing film and television. I auditioned my butt off. And I, at the same time, I was taking this on-camera class. And this guy, um guy named Frank and I can't remember his last name it was like this long Italian last name and he was like Rebecca he was a director he was a commercial director and he was like Rebecca you are so funny and I was like I'm not funny and he's like you are hilarious and he kept telling me that and it would like anger me because I wanted to be this dramatic actor you know <laughs> and I was like no I'm I am a I am a classically trained actor, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you are. But Rebecca, you got it. Like, you are ridiculously funny. And he was just angry. I mean, oh my gosh. Andrea, I got so angry with him. Like, I would, like, I dreaded going into his class because I'd be like, this motherfucker's going to tell me I'm funny one more time. (laughs) And, like, and and I would go in there and... (laughs) And I sit there and I'm like, and here it comes. And I do something and he would just roll and laugh. He's like, see, that's what I'm telling you, Rebecca. And his brother worked for Jimmy Kimmel. Oh. And his brother saw me and his brother was like, yeah, you need to do stand-up like yesterday. And I was like, oh, God. And so I started doing stand-up. I started doing stand-up and I was really good at it, but I hated it hated it and I was really good at it and I would like do stand-up and I would it never failed like before I would leave the club there'd be somebody coming up to me and giving me another gig like I would get hired like right there in the in the club and And then that was was, when you were here no this is when I was in LA and then when I came here it continued because like I remember my last gig in LA I was like I'm done like I'm done with this like this is 
I'm a classically trained actor. Like I am not doing this stand-up filth. Like, and okay. So wait. So tell them. I don't think we told them where here is because you were born and raised in Chicago. I was born and raised in Chicago, and now, and and now, well, no, no, no. That was like when I was in LA, and then okay. And then I moved back to Chicago, um, and then one of my one of my oh, and I and I didn't tell you guys that I ended up like being on second. I ended up being in Second City um, because that's that's what my thing was. Like I wanted to get out of theater because I always ended up in these comedic roles, and I'm like I'm so much more than comedy, right? And I always ended up doing sketch comedy and. Or like when I would get into like a, a, a play, like they would always give me the funny role, right? And I'm like, no, I am not that. I want to be like raped on stage. Like I want to oh be God. raped on stage. I want to be like, I want to be killed on stage. Like I want to be like, ah! you know, like I wanted to end. And, like, and, and see, this like, is what they're talking about. Because you, they, were like, they were like, no, 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 you're you the comic Exactly. You are comic relief. Like, literally. It's not funny. Like, I was like, it's not funny. So, that's why I went to LA, because I was like, I'm done with that. Like, I, I want to recreate my career, right? And I was going to go into this, like, these, like, you know, these dramatic roles. And even my camera, my camera class director was like, yeah, no. Mm -hmm. So, then I went back to Chicago. I was like, this is crazy, right? And I came back to Chicago, and one of my second city friends found out I was doing stand up in LA and he was like, Oh, I do a regular comedy, a, a stand up night. You need to come. And I was like, Oh, and so because he was my boy and you know, I, and I really respected him. I went and again, it was just like, boom, boom, boom. Like it was like, I was just doing these gigs and I was like, Oh my gosh. And every time I be done, I'm like, that's it. I'm not doing another gig. And it would be like, boom. And then I got pregnant and I kept doing gigs, kept doing gigs, pregnant. My midwife was like, please stop going. And this was before the whole yeah. um, no smoking in clubs thing. Because <laughs> the, the no smoking in clubs, see, this is how I know when the legislation happened in the state of Illinois. It happened January 1st, 2008. Yes, it right? did. And it started January 1st, 2008 because in 2007 i was in these comedy clubs huge and pregnant <laughs> and my my midwife was like please rebecca please don't go in these clubs with people smoking all over you and i was like but people keep asking me to come back <laughs> and i and they would pay me they would, I mean, how can you how can you turn away 200 300 400 dollars i mean i can't you know and nobody else was hiring me to do anything this big gigantic belly in front of me so i was like <laughs> Well, go. And that's why I look at this this Asian comedian who's on Netflix. Was it Zang or whatever? And they make now. And then and then the the the, the white girl who's also pregnant. And everybody, ooh, oh my gosh, a pregnant comedian. I was like, I was doing that twelve years ago. Like, please, like, I, come on now. Like, I was making jokes about me being pregnant and and peeing all the time and trying to find the penis with my big belly. You know, just, I was, you know, I was doing that 12 years ago. And it was so funny is I would get off the stage and people would look at me and they would go, oh, you really pregnant? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> my 
belly. Like, why would I wobble on stage? Like, that makes no sense. Like, no, yes, I am really pregnant. And so I did that, and then... Wait, wait, you know that when we are more endowed, people act like they can't see the belly sometimes. I know that. And they saw me, but I guess they thought, like, either I was super fat, or they right. thought I was purposely stuffing my belly. Like, yeah. Like, a comedic routine. And I was like, no, I'm using this, you know, since I have this, and clearly you see it, like... And I really, and you're right, and, and with my first son, I really wasn't that big. Like, I yeah. really, I didn't get that big until, like, probably, like, the last eight weeks of my pregnancy. But but I will say this, and then January 1st, 2008 came, and they stopped smoking in clubs, and then I had my baby three weeks later. <laughs> so I was like, oh, well, like, that was, my son is, you know, hopefully his lungs won't be affected too much. But, yeah, and I did that, and then I became a stay-at-home mom. and. I purposely, it was like, it was strategic. Like, before I even got pregnant, I told my husband, I was like, if ever we get pregnant, like, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. And I'm just letting you know, that's what's going to go down. And he wasn't too cool with it, but he was like, and I did. And I became a stay-at-home mom, and I became super bored. Oh. Super bored. Um, I'm type A. So, like, if I'm not doing a lot of things... And if the the projects that I'm working on, if they don't, like, demand a lot of me, then I go into a deep depression. So, like, I started to go into a depression, and I was like, okay, I, I got to do something. Like, and I didn't really want to go back into acting. I wasn't really there yet. So then I, I decided to become a birth worker. I decided to, I love my birth experience, and I love my my breastfeeding experience. And I felt like there was some holes in the lactation field that were literally being purposely ignored. And I was like, I could fill them and I could piss people off while I fill them. And that's fine because this is not like my primary field. So like, I don't have anything to lose. So I got, I became certified and I worked my butt off. And when I tell you I work my butt off, I work my butt off. Um, so back up a little bit and tell me. So was it? So you always knew you wanted a midwife. Was that just? Oh, oh, oh girl. Oh, yes. Okay. Let me tell you about that. Okay. okay. Um, I grew up as bougie as a black person can be. Like my mother, as much as she wants to call herself a down to earth sister, she was not. Like, my mom, okay, she was down to earth. She was down to earth, but she was down to earth, like, strategically. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and when it was her, like, when it was, when, it, when she saw that, like, she was like, look, okay, I got I to gotta reach these people, right? And she's like, they're not getting it. So, like, she would, like, she would get real down to earth then. But my mom was naturally an uppity person. And <laughs> he's going to fight me on this. But she was. She was. <laughs> And the thing is, growing up, my mom always thought natural meant country ignorant and just, you know, ghetto. And, like, you go to the doctor. You you do synthetic crap. Like, you, you know, what? You know, but then my grandmother, her mother, was all about natural. Like, my grandma's like, girl... Go out there in that lawn, pick them dandelion greens, and come in here. We're going to make a dandelion salad. And I was like, oh, 
Like, I was like, what? And my grandmother was really, she, you know, my grandmother, like, was low-key holistic. Like, she wasn't out, like, holistic. Like, but, like, you walked in her house, and you would be like, what, what's that? What's that? Oh, that's a, you know, and she'd call the herb, you know, I don't know, grandmother on the hill herb or something like that. And you'd be like, what? What's that, grandma? You know, and my grandmother knew how, you know, if I had a cold, she'd pull me and put me over a big old Dutch oven, and and it'd have echinacea, and it'd have all... I, girl, I don't even know what kind of, I don't even know where my grandmother got these herbs. Like, I'd be like, Grandma, this is Chicago. Like, how do you get these herbs that grow in the Amazon? You know? Like, how do you, and Grandma, like, she would have these things, and like, I would have to put my a towel over my head. Yes. And be, and, 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 and she would have, she would put a chair next. It was so dangerous now that I think about it. My grandma, <laughs> how was I like seven years old? Like leaning over a hot ass, <laughs> but like, like I think about that all. I'm like, what if I had like fallen or something that all that all that hot water have fallen on me? Like that's just great. And my grandma would walk away. She'd be like breathe, and she <laughs> and I'd be sitting up there hot, sweat dripping. But all night I would cough up stuff, and like I'd be straight, right? I never had. You know, I never had like sinus allergies, but I was born with insane respiratory issues. I was, when I was born, I almost died. Like I came in like seconds of dying. And um, because I was born with no nasal passages, I was born with a craniofacial abnormality. And so like my mother had to give me like all these like things that would like, um, she would have to make me cry and because literally like my sinuses and all this would like build up with like crap. And so my grandmother, when she would have me, she would just like, you know, she would just do it in a natural way. And so I, I had this yin yang. Yeah. <laughs> like I had this yin yang, you know, and nothing, nothing wrong with, um, as Dr. Africa calls it, what does he call it? Alchemy medicine or whatever yeah. there's nothing wrong with that when when it is acute treatments you know what i'm saying like if you're dealing with acute if you're dealing with trauma if you're dealing with some stuff that's like truly emergency means like there's nothing wrong with that but i grew up andrea like taking pills like just for like every little doggone thing like you know, I, I had allergies. At one point, I was even like, I couldn't stay out in the sun too long because my my lack of melanin. <laughs> you know, like, it was like I would like turn into like a red sore. And so, you know, my mom she took me off to the doctor and they gave her some kind of salve with some steroids. And I remember my grandma was like, Becky, you ain't you ain't putting none of that on your skin, girl. Come on here, we go. And I don't know what my grandmother did. She mixed some type of stuff. And she put it on, <laughs> and I was cool. So I'm saying that because I I was smart enough at a young age to go, wait, grandma does all this stuff. I feel so good. But then mom does this stuff, and I feel like I keep going back to the doctor. Wow. So I was at a very young age. I started putting two to two together, and I was like, something ain't right. But I, I'm under the I'm under the roof and under the guidance of Antoinette Jackson, so I'm gonna go along with it, right? Because that's my mama, and I love her. I love, I, I worshipped my mother when I was a little girl, even in, when I was a teenager, and I was not a rebellious teenager at all. 
So when I got to college, I was able to access spaces that my mother would have been like, "Uh uh-uh, we ain't going there, right? And so when I was at college, I would sit with people and I would listen. And I had this one professor, Dr. Alan Kalan, he was my African-American history professor. I think every college, I think every HBCU has one. We had Dr. Fluka at Tuskegee University. They they bring them, baby. The HBCUs got that one African American uh, for the African American class. Let me tell you, Doctor Doctor Alan Kalan, wherever you are, look, I, girl, I'm getting goosebumps mentioning him. Like seriously, because they dis they dismantle they dismantle the colonization in your mind. They challenge, you know? I will never, ever, ever to the day I die, I will never forget what that man did to my psyche. And he said on the very first day of class, he said, if you don't look at the world differently after this semester, I have not done my job. And I was thinking, you know how you hear stuff like that? And you'd be like, oh, okay. You know? And it was like maybe a couple years after that class, I remembered him saying that. And I'm like, oh, Thank you, you did do that. Like, and I, it, he did. But the thing is that, so I remember one time he was talking about birth. Oh, let me tell you why. Let me, let me just give you, Dr. Alan Kalan was a brother who, and he was, he was like, at the time when he taught me, he was probably in his like mid to late 50s, right? Super, that brother was super, super light-skinned. Like you had to do like this to be like, Oh, okay. I think I kind of see. Yeah, you kind of black. Yeah, you know, like he was like that type of black where you were like, oh, okay. I think the way you moved your nostril. Yeah, that's black. You know, so like you had to kind of do that. That brother, like seriously, if you passed by him, you would not think he was black. I mean, you and you know, and, and I look back. I'm like, did he do a Rachel Dolezal? But no, he didn't. He was black. He was like, but anyway. So he was real nice. He had blue eyes. And he had slick black hair. And he would, like, if you fell asleep in his class, and he would always wear a dashiki. Like, every day, that brother probably had, like, three closets of, like, dashikis. And it'd be a brand new dashiki. You wouldn't, he wouldn't even recycle them. You know what I'm saying? And it would be like, like I mean, it was, and he would have, like, these, like, regal dashikis. He had long, he had long sleeve ones, short sleeve, all this stuff, right? And he would, he would strut in, you know, and if you fell asleep in his class, may the Lord be with you. <laughs> this man, and we, I mean, seriously, you would see people get up like 10 times to go get a drink because they like, I can't, I can't go to sleep in this dude's class, right? <laughs> because if you fell asleep in Dr. Alan Kalan's class, <laughs> he would... He would low-key, now he still lecture, he wouldn't miss a beat, Andrea. He would still, you know, continue his lecture, right? And he would, like, sneak up, like, like stealth, come up to your desk, and he would be like, wake up! We've been sleeping for 400 years, and here you go! You continue with this process, for, because it's because of people like you that we still enslaved mentally. And we were like, yeah, I mean, he would, it was crazy! <laughs> Crazy, Andrea. Ask anybody that went to Hampton 
before 2001. I think he left Hampton in 2000. Ask anybody. I well, guarantee my, you, they'd be like, yup. My family, I'm the only one that didn't go to Hampton because I grew up in Hampton, Virginia. So uh, now I'm going to go and ask my little sister. Uh, I'm going to ask went, them. I think he started working at Hampton in the late 80s. And he went, oh. on ask them. They'll tell you, they would be like, uh-huh. But anyway, he shared his wife's birth experience. Wow. And they, both of their sons were born at home. And he talked about in detail how beautiful and spiritual wow. and natural those birth experiences were. He talked about how he was able to grab his sons you know, and, and hold them right out of birth. I mean, and like he, he even did like the whole like arm thing. And, and he was, I mean, like he was like mad, like he would tell these stories. And I was like, whoa. Like, and he was like, and I fell in love with my, my offspring right there. Like, and like, he was like, and he would go around, you need, all of y'all need to experience home birth, blah, blah, blah. And so, so that was like, oh, that's deep. Here we go. So then, I bet you you remember. Remember the baby story on TLC? Yes. <laughs> this was late 90s, right? Yes. The baby story was the bombdiggity.com, yep. right? Yep. And, you know, between classes, I'd watch a baby story, you know. And I would sit there on my couch in my apartment, and I would just drool. And I'm like, oh, this is so beautiful. Why? Because most then... Then, yes. most of the births that they would show and broadcast were six. Watch my word. Most of the births that they broadcast were vaginal births. Exactly. Every once in a while, they would have, they would show a cesarean. It was and very different. It was very different back in the 90s. It was different. very very different what you saw even as a as a, me as a birth and mother i had two in the 90s very different atmosphere there, it was it was it was honoring the power of the womb and i can and, and, and you know if if you haven't seen them i can't properly describe it but it was like i felt this energy of like oh i could do that and that's and watching that also at the same time i don't know if you remember this they had this show called the, it was about a birthing center in Miami. You remember that? I don't remember that one. Tell me. They had a, they had a show that focused on a, on the, on a birthing center in Miami. And it was with this, this white woman who, who didn't look fully white, but we ain't going there. But she was like, she would wear like wraps, like gay legs. And she was like, and she would like, they, they would follow the story of the parents and why they chose this birth clinic and blah, blah, blah. And they would have these beautiful births in these beautiful home-like rooms. And while watching the birth story and that, and that show, it was confirmed. I was like, I'm going to have a natural birth, period. I'm going to have a midwife. And I, I, I'm going to have a, a home birth. Oh, and I confirmed that I was going to breastfeed. Now, my breastfeeding, my breastfeeding story is a little bit because I, I grew up with formula around me. My little cousins were formula fed. I saw formula, you know, and my mother was like, you're a Similac baby. And I was proud of it. Like, my mother was proud to make me a Similac baby. You know, she was like, okay. 
So when I got to college and I had one break, that's why I tell people all the time, those were four really powerful years of my life. Yes. It was almost like the universe was like, before I send you out into the world, Rebecca, I, I got to rewire your brain, little child. You know, and I, I, I went to my, 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 my doctor at the time because I was still in college. I could still go to my pediatrician. And his name was Dr. Joseph Terezi. And Dr. Joseph Terezi, oh my gosh, uh, out of Northwestern's, but used to be out of Evanston Hospital on the north side in, in Evanston. And I went to him one break. It was like my freshman year, maybe my sophomore year. And I said, Dr. Terezi, I want a breast reduction. So I want you to write it up so that I can get a breast reduction. And he looked at me and he said, you know, by the way, I was much smaller than I am now both wise, but I was still very large in the breast area, right? And Dr. Teresi just looked at me, he said, you know, I I'm going to have to say no for now. And I was like, uh, I need you to understand who paying, your who paying this bill, okay? And so I think he saw my face. I was like, what? And he said, let me explain to you why. And Dr. <coughs> And if anybody who knows Dr. Joseph Terezi, they know that he is, you know, that character on Wonder Years, that professor who talked like this, and he's like, that's how Dr. Terezi talked. He was very monotone. I, I don't, I, sometimes you would have to like lean in. You'd be like, what, what, what this dude saying? <laughs> um, and here I was this very dramatic hypochondriac patient of his. And he, I think he got even more low-key, like, he was like, oh, okay, let me calm down. And he said, Rebecca, let me tell you, let me explain to you why. You never know if you want to breastfeed your children, and I feel like you're too young right now to make that decision. So for right now, what we're going to do is we're going to hold off on that. Now, you know, once you have your children, then you can make that decision. But I would like for you to have a decision whether or not you want to breastfeed, um, and I would like for you to have that decision. I know right now you think you know, but right now, let's just hold off on that. And I was like, uh, really? What? And he says, and this is what he said. He said, and I, okay, um, since you're in college, I would encourage you to research the benefits of breastfeeding. Wow. He, he, he did whatever on my chart. He got up, he rolled out clothes. He was like, see you next semester. Rolled out. <laughs> wow. And so I was like, what? Now at the time I was dating this guy, Sean Harrison, um, who ended up being like my college sweetheart. Like we dated forever in college. And Sean Harrison was always like, I breastfed. My mom breastfed me. I'm breastfed. And I was like, shut up. Ain't nobody want to hear all that. Like who cares? And so he was always like, yeah, I'm smart because I was breastfed. I'm not <laughs> like, he would always drop the, like, unnecessary, like, fact about himself. And I'd be like, okay, Sean, like, ain't nobody care about this, right? So I go back to school, and I'm like, Sean, let me tell you what my doctor said. Like, and so I told him, and he was like, he was like, yeah, like, it's, it's real important. Now, now Sean was a, bio, he was a microbiology major. So Sean, like, he started dropping all these things like, you know, the amyloglobins in the milk and the this and that. And I'm like, hmm, okay, okay. 
So at the time, see this, ooh, the universe is so doggone good sometimes. At the time, that following semester, I had to take biology 101. So I was in this class, and this, like, real, like, earthy white woman taught our class. Like, she was, like, it, it, she, she was just, like, real. Like, she was, like, Birkenstock, like, typical, like, cockshell wear white woman. And, like, she, like, had jeans that were always, they never really fit her butt right. Like, you know, she always had, like, tank tops on that would always show her midriff. And I'd be like, is that professional? Like, I don't know if that's really professional. But anyway, but she was, like, really thorough, right? And she was really good. And everybody was like, oh, you got to take her class. Like, she's real cool. And I remember she brought up, in the middle of semester, for no reason, she brought up the power of breast milk. And I was like, why? Okay. Now, this is just too much. Like, I go to Dr. Reezy, then Sean dropping knowledge on me, and then now this comes up, like, a month later? Okay, I got to look into this, this breast milk stuff. So I did, and watching the, watching the baby story and all those things at the same time, I had decided, I was like, I'm breastfeeding. So I decided this years before, Wow! years before I even was ready to have, you know, was ready to have a child. That's why I say constantly, when we go to women, when they're pregnant and, or they about, you know, or, or they're getting pregnant or they're about to have a baby or even after they have a baby and they go, oh, you know this thing called breastfeeding? Yep. It's too damn late. It's too late. So, and I tell people, and, and I, I, we should be teaching this every health class. My son is in fifth grade. He just had two, three weeks ago, he just had a puberty class. Why are we not telling these little fifth graders why they're going to develop these breasts? Why are they not telling them the function of mammaries? Because, and I don't understand, they're so quick to tell people about STIs. Exactly. They're so quick to show images of, of testes and, and, and the phallic and all this other stuff and where the clitoris is and what. But you can't take the time to say, oh, and by the way, in your breast are these little great looking things. And they're called the avioli. And they're going to make milk for your baby when you get pregnant. And so it's like, why aren't we talking about that? But, it's, it, but we have to understand a lot of this health information and health education is rooted in corporate funding. Uh -huh. And when corporations control curricula, when corporations control, you know, how things are instructed and, and the propaganda that we put into our children, because that's, let's be honest, curricula is used for propaganda. And so let me tell so, you this, I'm, you know, my prof professionally, I'm an educator. And right. when I was in my doctoral, I, I don't recall it before, but um, I remember one of the questions that was asked, they were like, you know, um, what is the purpose of education? And I had some great answer because I homeschooled for 13 years. And I was like, help the child, the young person seeing whatever, some glorious answer. And she was like, black woman she said no she said the purpose of education is to make good citizens and then she questioned the fact that i was homeschooling and she questioned the fact she's like the fact that you are you know that your children are lo losing out on 
all of these dynamic things that are supposed to happen when they get a curriculum, you know, based in thus, thus, and so. So you are correct. This is not education. Any educator that tells you the truth, they will, they will say it. And we, they say it in nice ways. Mm-hmm. Education is to teach, uh, to help create whatever in society. Education is to whatever. It's to make good citizens. Mm-hmm. It's to put wherever the thought is that we that is expected for children to take in, to put that in the kids. Period. When they come to school at five years old, they don't even know how to raise their hand. They don't know how to stand in a straight line. No, no. They don't know any of that until applesauce. No crisscross applesauce. No, all of that is taught. So continue. Absolutely. Propaganda. That's what it is. And, and, I, and I really, and again, Dr. Alan Kalan was one of the first people to be like, look, 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 look understand why you sitting in these seats at this university. It has nothing to do with that you need this. That's live. right. It's because you're sitting here so you can understand how to be strategic, how to play the game and play to win. Exactly. And in the process, you are blessed to be sitting here with certain professors like him and basically like to deprogram your, your brain from everything that they told you from elementary school all the way to 12th grade. Now you take the necessary things like how to add and how to, <laughs> how, you know, how to write and stuff like that. But you, all those other little things that they put in the middle, you go, oh, 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 okay. And you take that when you go to college, you go, oh, so now I'm going to use all that that you put on me and I'm going to turn it back and use it as a weapon. That's right. Well, see, and that's, and, and that's why I say like professors like Dr. Alan Kalan are vital. And, it was, and I'm just going to say it. I think it's horrible what Hampton University did to him. Well, we're not going to go there. But it's vital what ha- like what what professors like this need to be especially at a HBCU Histo- and for those that are watching that don't know that's historically black colleges and universities yes, they are yes. still necessary very necessary very necessary especially for somebody who was like me i grew up around white people constantly i hated myself i didn't think i was light enough i didn't, I, I wanted blue eyes i wanted straight blonde hair I thought being black was being ugly. I thought being black was, you know, meant being ignorant. I was so quick to tell people that my my grandmother was white. I always had I always had to unblack myself because I always like that gave me more merit. And it was only when I, I like I said at H at the HBCU I was like, oh wait, oh oh to be black means to be excellent. You know, and then, of course, that was traumatic for me, right? You know, anytime, that's why you know this, Andrea, like when you drop knowledge that resonates with people so much that it kind of like jars them to make them go, oh my God, I got to think differently. They get angry, right? May I tell you? The first thing is get defensive, right? And they get angry and they fight it. Because they're like, what this means is I'm going to have to admit that I have been lied to. I'm going to have to admit that I've been lying and I'm going to have to change. It's so true. Um, Rebecca, 
And Andrea, that's scary as hell for a lot of people. Let me tell you, you've always been that to me. You just don't know. Like you are you you seem to like you you specialized in being the jarer. Like you knew. I know. I know. And you know what? It crashed. It took my husband to point that out to me. He said, Rebecca, people have to take you in doses. And I remember when I first I was like, this mother what? What the doses? Then that's your problem. In fact, because I, I, I'm, I'm cool, right? And then, and then I had to think about that. And I, girl, I thought about that for years. You know, how, you know how your husband tell you stuff, and you, you be sitting on it, and like you be like, I, I want to argue with him, but I'm not, because I know this is not really an argument. <laughs> But at the same time, like, it pissed me off. I want to let him know it pissed me off from four years ago when he said that to me six years ago. And it's just it's doing this, right? And then when I sat in, and then I came here to North Carolina. <laughs> that is the biggest mistake I ever made. Moving here to North Carolina. No, seriously, this was, this was a big, gigantic bowl of wrong that I did. And... I came here, and the first year that I was here, Andre, I never saw so much of this. this. I, it was this. It was the constant. And I was like, "What? What? What? What is? What is this? What? What? What is this? What? would you? Are, are you pushing down some type of air? What? What? What is going? Is there? Is there a fly in the room that you gotta gently sway away? What? What is that? And they would follow it by you. But that, or tone, tone it down. And I was like, and then, and then I was like, okay. So let me, let me dilute myself. And girl, I went into a deep depression. Yeah. Year I diluted myself. And I did the stupid thing by giving people only doses of who I am. But th- here's the thing. I sat with this amazing Baba Lowell. Baba Ifani Akintunde Ashe. He now is an ancestor. And this brother, whoo, this brother, he looked at me. And, and girl, I didn't tell him nothing but my name and my birthday. And this brother, I mean, he was like, girl, he started throwing stuff. And he started like, <laughs> girl, and he started, whoo. And he looked at me and he said, stop diluting yourself. Wow. He said, you're not being, you're not being your full self. You're being a two when you're an 11. I said, what? What's that mean? He was like, you're, you're being, you're acting like a two, but you're really an 11. Wow. And he was like, okay, I said, Baba, you're going to have to explain that to me, please, because I don't. And if people can see me now, like, I always have something to say. Like, I, I, I have, I have, because I grew up with Philip Jackson as my dad. And my dad taught me to always know your stuff. Know, know your stuff and know it so well that you could just come back at him. You know, and I've always been like that. Well, I sat with this man for four hours, Andrea. And I probably said all of 10 words the whole time. I was, I, I had a headache at the end. I remember I went home and I drank so much water. And I was like, I, I couldn't, I didn't even have dinner that night. Like I just went to bed. Cause I was like, what? 
girl, he dropped, oh my gosh. Like, it was like, I, I, all I can tell you is this man, he was like, you're done with birth work. You're done. He was like, you're done. And I could tell I was, I knew I was done because doors in the birth worker world were closing on me. These wow. white, these baby boomer white women, you know, I ain't gonna name no names because I know you're trying to continue to have a show. <laughs> I don't want them thinking you in cahoots with me. Girl, bye. This is, I told you, uncensored. This is us. These are conversations with black women, uncensored, unedited. You say what you're going to say. But let me tell you, these white women baby boomers who control the birth worker industry, they are full of shit. They are so full of shit. They are racist-ass motherfuckers who are doing everything they can to continue the, the, the genocide of black women. And I don't care. They can sit up there and have quilts and shit. Oh, all the women that died, they don't care. They don't care about us. And I don't understand why we black women, and I think now in the birth worker, with the more the influx of black women that came in after I, right after I started, Yes. Now I think now it's starting. I think y'all are now are in it so long. And now you guys are like, oh, and now you guys, I've noticed now I'm in these groups and I see it and I'm, you know, I don't, I don't comment. I don't post. And I just sit there and go, okay, good. Now, now they're starting to see. Now that they're starting to see it is that anime is, is full of shit. And so good thing that she's full, finally, finally, we all know she's full of shit. Anime Gaskin is full of shit. And, and so I'm like, yes, yes, right? Dona has, Dona's gotten better. Ibelsi, still full of shit. Still full right. of shit. Because I remember when you left, you were trying to do that. And that's when they were putting all their new measures and requirements in when to, you to, were. To block black people from being IBCLCs. We see you, Ibelsi. We know what you did. We know what you're doing. Ain't nobody stupid. You trying to make all these nurses, these white-ass nurses, uh, IBCLCs. We ain't stupid. And so I started seeing all these doors closing. And it frustrated me. But, like, it was, it was interesting because I felt like my spirit, I was tired. Yeah. And to hear the Babalawo look at me and say, you're done. And I was like, but, but Baba, there's so much. He's like, you're done. It's killing you. You're done. That is not your ancestral path. That was your ancestral path for a moment. To bring that knowledge, you need to be back on stage. You need to be back in front of a camera. You need to get back to writing. That's your calling. That's your ancestral path. And when he said, I mean, when I tell you this man knew, knew nothing, he knew no, he was not on social media like that. He didn't research me. If you knew the Bible, you would know that that wasn't his thing. Like, and he would say this, I'm like, what? How do you know I used to act? Like, you know, like, it was just crazy. And I'm not going to share everything he said, because he did say that most of it was supposed to be just between the ancestors, me and him. Yeah. But I'll say this. I realized at that point that the birth worker industry was killing me and it was killing me slowly. 
But at the same time, I had done what I was meant to do. I, now, had, I, I had done my African. He said, he said, sister, you got to keep roaring. You have to keep doing your African roar. Never stop your African roar. He said, don't ever stop your African roar. He said, but you just got to do it in another platform. And so that's what I did. I love, I love that you said that and that, you know, that was a, uh, something that resonated with you, even when he spoke it and he said it and you're like, yes. And that felt right. Um, because I, I mean, I walked away from it for like an entire year when got a job. It's like, I'm done with this because, um, you're absolutely right. I know when I was coming in, I was learning from you and other people you know, there was more of a culture of just try to get in there and fit in and people were glad to see you and you would still be the only person in a, in a thing. And everyone was like, Oh, so great you're here. Um, but we were very much trying to fit into the platforms that were placed there. And the whole point is, you know, our, and I, I stand by this, you know, our context is different. Our historical context is different. Ours is 50 60 years old since our pe people were depending on and knowing how to do the, you know, it's just a different context and it will get to you. It's the reason why I do Sanko for birth ambassador workshops. There are people that are just like, that come to me and say, I don't know where to start. I don't know whatever. And birth work will kill your zeal. It will kill so much of you. You will come in thinking you want to help people and you will run into and realize that, now you can say they're platforms and stuff for black women. But then you come in and you think you, I, I'm thinking my family was birthed at home. I'm the first generation in the hospital. I'm coming in expecting to be following in the steps, the footsteps of the, at the black midwives of the South. Not going to happen. It was not going to happen. And it was just so frustrating. And I just personally want to let you know how grateful I am that you were where you were because let me tell you something oh my gosh i not only just in the context of birth and breastfeeding and stuff like that i remember when you said to me once this was after you had left i think i had come back to see you or something um come to see you when you came in town but there are things you always just pop stuff off and it'll be something that will inform my thought uh I'm gonna, the first, I'm gonna tell you the first thing I remember, but the second thing I remember, uh, you were talking about someone that told you about, I said, you know, what is the likelihood, you know, we see men in num, you know, in, in math and sciences. He said, well, you were like, well, what, what, what reason would men have had to know the sun and the moon and the cycle of the moon and the, and, and I'm just sitting there like, and you told me who told, who, who you heard it from. You always said. Yeah, Dr. Kaba Hiawatha he's my mentor yes yeah, yeah. And, he, and you were like you know what is the likelihood and just that question was like uh -huh. i didn't know what to do with it i was like right. and it just kind of started you always did that let me tell you the thing that really got me okay. i remember we were at um we took a picture at the place but it was a birth something it's some workshop yes mm -hmm. yeah yeah and, and, and one that was started by um her name dana i think her name is dana but yeah something yeah. like that well there was this one we were at and we were you were talking to me it was another birth worker mm -hmm. as well and somebody said something and you looked because this is how you are and you know 
walls have trim lines. You know, you walk through the hospital to get to this thing. And you said, you see this wall right here? <laughs> and so we're walking. We're like, yeah. You said, and we're starting at the beginning of the hallway. So we're back down here. Walk to, you see this right here? We just walked through the door. You see this right here? This is where this is where white history starts. White people's history starts right here. You know your you know your history. You know where your history is, and you just start walking like you do down the hallway. Your history goes all the way, and you just walk, and you just walk. Your history goes all the way back here. You know, and I remember just and then you didn't say anything else about it, and you were just done. But you would just say stuff. I say, doggone it. I mean. And, and I think the reason why I do that is because that's that's how knowledge gets to me. I mean, I've been so blessed, Andrea. And the older I get, the more I look back on my life. And I'm like, dang, I got a good-ass life. Because I have been so blessed to be in spaces with, like, Kaba Hayawata Kamene, who literally has, like, taken me and been like, Listen, you know, and like, he'll just like, I'll tell you the last, one of the last conversations I had with him, and I have to call him now, I actually got to call him still, because I'm about to embark on this project, um, this, this television project, and, and, I, and I will talk about it real quick, but I was going to New York to go and attend this film festival, and I called him, I was like, Kava, I'm going to be in New York, let's meet, let's have, you know. Coffee, he was like, yeah, you know. He said, wait, but let me, he's like, I'm not going to be able to like, because I said, oh, I'm going to take this tour while I'm there. I'm going to take a tour of Wall Street. And he said, sis, he said, sis, why was it named Wall Street? See, that's the kind of stuff. And I be like, oh, I get mad at like, and by the way, I've had conversations with like, Ren I mean, talk, like Renoka Rashidi, like has spent time with my family. Like, eight like we you know like i've been blessed i've been blessed to be in spaces with like robert x like robert x came out of the school the african center school that we had. like like cool like it ain't just oh i sent email like 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 we cool like robert x i called robert x when i found out he had a heart attack and we had just moved here and i called i said brother brother i heard he was like sis we spent an hour and a half on the phone and he was like let me tell you something you know like i've been like I've been blessed to have these deep, amazing conversations with geniuses. And so I just feel like that's, they're not telling me for me to take it and, you know, walk around and, you know, put my big boobs in people's faces. Like they're taking it, they're giving that to me. So they're like, Rebecca, you have a big ass mouth <laughs> and you're crazy. And you, you, you make people laugh. You are dramatic. You have you never get embarrassed. So I'm gonna give you this knowledge so you can perform it or shout it or comedically deliver it because that's because I'm not I can't get to everybody. So and, and now mind you, they don't tell me that they're doing that, but I know that's why they're doing it. So Kaba tells me, he said. Sister Queen, I said, yes, Kaba. You know why they name it Wall Street? I said, Baba Kaba, no, I, I, no, no, I do not. And I know, I know what's coming.
Baba Daddy, because he does this stuff to me all the time. And I'm like, Baba Daddy, no, I don't. Do you? Let me tell you. It used to be a wall. He said, when you go to when you go to Wall Street, look at the cobblestone. You're gonna see that these blocks of wood within the cobblestone. That used to be. They used to form. They used to be high. They used to put our ancestors when they would get off the boat. They used to put our ancestors under. He said underneath that Cobble Street, Wall Street Road, at the bottom in the ground. He said there's a whole nother ground underneath there. If you if you're ever privileged to go in there, there's prisons. There's a prison, old, you know, uh, 18th century prison down there. They bring our ancestors down there. And then when they were ready to sell them, they would bring them up and put them along those blocks and line them up in a wall. It's called Wall Street. And so when the wealthy people heard about Wall Street, they knew that was cold for more niggas coming in to be sold. He said, that's what Wall Street is. Why they call it the stock market? I said, Kaba, I don't know. Why <laughs> they call it the stock market, Baba Kaba? He said, they call it the stock market. He said, before then, they never called cattle and pigs stock. We were the stock. We were stock. So it's the stock market. And we basically, we are the foundation to the United States economic system and capital. So when they say stock market, when they say Wall Street, we need to be like, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. I traveled to Charleston with some women and they were talking about this. They have this place called the marketplace or the market whatever basically where in charleston's where charleston where the africans were coming in and um they were talking about the fact that you know they were like sure only this percent of people had slaves right because they like say oh, that's not that many. they said but anybody that says that their family has had uh, investments or that was working on this. And he didn't say nothing about what you just said about the stock market. He said, any, anybody that says their family's been investing for generations, anybody that says that they've been this, that, he said, any wealth they were making, it all went back to those enslaved Africans. It all went back. It, they No, they might have never had a farm or plantation, but they were making money by selling these people. Their hands were dirty too. Slavery was legal all over the United States. Exactly. Everybody. Every, everybody has. Every, and then this is another thing I tell people is that white people, they're like, well, my family was poor. But you, but you don't understand that your ancestors probably, let's say they, they had their own corn or let's say they made their own like cream corn or whatever it was, right? They sold it to that rich white man, or they sold it in the markets that were funded by the rich white man with the slave money, and your ancestors benefited from it. So, bottom line, whether however you want to say it, 
And even if these people who like, well, my family came over in, in 1913 from, from Ireland. But they got a free land grant. Yes, they did. And why they get a free land grant? Because my ancestors made it so that these little wealthy, nasty, evil, demonic people who I call air consumers and recessive, they were able to give that land for free and exactly. still profit from it. Exactly. So, so bottom line, you're still benefiting from my ancestors' blood, tears, rape, and death. Now, before we go, I do want to say this. I want to say a couple things. <laughs> I want to say so much. But one thing I do, because I really want to talk about my birth, my birth story. You know, my first son, I had him at a midwifery clinic in at UIC. Mm -hmm. And I've made it. You know, you know the story. And it was good. I loved it. I loved working with uh, Kathleen Harmon was my midwife. Uh, Mary Kay, I, I don't know her last name, but wherever she is, she was the bomb.com. I love her. Because at first, the midwife that was before her, she was about to, she, she, she was about to make me wear an orange jumpsuit for the rest of my life. Okay. I was gonna have I was gonna I was gonna have charges against me, um, and I was gonna have to face an arraignment after birth of my son. But luckily, because there is a God, and clearly God looks out for fools, um, she had a shift change, and they had to get rid of her. And then Mary Kay came in like an angelic figure, floating, and was like, "I've been a home birth midwife for twenty five years. I get what you're trying to do. I'm gonna leave you." What? So it was this beautiful, this beautiful, wonderful experience. After that first uh, medwife left, um, but it was because I because I was I didn't want to stint. I didn't want to stint, and I told her I said I don't want to stint. Why? This is the first midwife. I said she was like why? I said let me ask you this. What aren't you trained? To put a stent in a patient, like in an emergency situation, yeah. Well, why would you want us to put a stent in an emergency situation? I said, because you can do it, unless you have, unless you, unless you questioning your capabilities and your training. You can do it right, and you can do it correctly, right? Yeah. I said, what would you do? I said, don't you put stents in in people coming in with heart attacks? Yeah. I'm not having a heart attack. I'm not having a medical condition. I'm doing something that's naturally meant to do. I'm meant to burn. So I don't want to stand. If something happens to me in an emergency situation, I'm sure you're fully capable of putting the stand in, correct? Yes. Okay, so get, I didn't say this, but I wanted to get the fuck out of my, but I didn't say that. I said, okay. And I looked at her like, and she rolled out of the room, right? And I think she knew at that point. So, I mean, it was, next thing was the monitor. I don't want a baby monitor. Why you got to monitor the heart rate? I'm cool. I feel the baby dropping. I feel everything is good. I don't want a monitor. And see, this is where, this is, this is where, Andrea, this is, I think you talk, this is the Rebecca you talking about. <laughs> yes. Constantly look at stuff that we do every single day in this mundane drone ass life, lives that we live, and we go, well, that's what they told us to do, and we do it all the time. So I guess that's, I mean, that's what 
we're supposed to do. And, and we just do stuff. We don't ever take the time to be like, why? We don't ever take the time to be like, okay, wait. There are women birthing plenty of births on these indigenous islands in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Yes. They eat fish all day long. Yes. They eat fish constantly. And they weigh healthier than us. Why can't I eat fish when I'm pregnant? Oh, is this fish not real ass fish? <laughs> or are you just telling me shit because you want to sit up and be like, I'm giving you a list of no's. You know, I mean, what are we like where where like where are we in this? Why why am I the only one sitting there going, well, why can't I eat fish when I'm pregnant? Why? And when I would go to my healthcare provider and ask these things, they'd be like, shut the head. See, now I'm like, see, now I don't know. Now I'm questioning my healthcare insurance. My health insurance should be paying your ass, right? (laughs) So we need to start asking these basic questions. But we live, and, and oh my gosh, I was just talking to a sister about three months ago. A friend of mine recommended her. She called me and she led the conversation, Andrea. This is when I should have got the hell off the phone. Oh my she God. led the conversation with, I'm scared to give birth. And I knew I said, shit, I'm gonna be on this phone for two hours. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, you are. Two hours because I'm gonna have to undo all the bull crap that people have told her. Yep. Yep. It's not my responsibility. How do I do this over the phone when this sister's in several states away from me? I can't be face to face with her. She doesn't have an iPhone, so it ain't like we can do FaceTime. Okay. <laughs> so how do I do this? This is this is gonna this, okay, let me. That's right. Time to do some heavy lifting. That's right. And I told, I said, sis, tell me about your childhood. Mm. She was like, what? I said, tell me about your child. So I had to go back. Like, I had to, like, I had to, like, make her unpack, like, open the suitcase, unpack. And it was a big-ass suitcase. It was some old stuff. I mean, it was some makeup that had been turned into powder. Like, it was so, it was, her her white shirts were straight up yellow. You know, she had some lace in there that falling apart. It was just horrible. It was horrible. But then, she didn't even know she had a damn suitcase. That was the crazy part. And she was like, oh, I don't and, and I could tell even toward the end, she was feeling real uncomfortable. And I said, let me tell you something, sis. You can never, ever, ever be excellent and be comfortable. Excellence and, com- and, and comfort do not equate. I'm telling you right now. And if you think being comfortable, putting your legs up, putting your hands behind your head, and you think excellence is going to come, honey, you, that, that's, I'm telling you. You will never be great. And I, and I don't understand this thing about, and Andrea, I don't know, maybe, maybe you can enlighten me. 
where did we get again here here's my thing where i sit back and i literally look at life and i look at the the zombies around me and i go where did we get this notion and this concept that from birth to death we shouldn't feel pain I don't, I don't understand that, Andrea. I'm, I'm confused. And where do we get the concept that pain kills? When has pain ever killed anybody? I have never known. Have, is, that, is, that ever, is, is that ever put down on any death certificate? I have never seen that on a death certificate. Now, I know I've never seen a lot of death certificates, but I've never asked somebody, how'd your, how'd your mother die? Or how'd your cousin die? Or how'd your friend die? I've never heard them go, pain. I've never heard anybody say pain. So where's this concept coming from that we have to avoid it? And avoid it like the plague. Like we're like, ah, pain. And it ain't, it ain't even. So it's like, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm really confused, Andrea. I'm very confused by that. I so know. I, I go, go ahead. ahead. I was gonna say, I know as far as when it comes to, in my, this is my thought on it. When it comes to black people, um, you know, we thought integration. You know, we we instead of integrating, we 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 assimilated. Okay. And part of that, uh, I think, like when you described your grandmother earlier. Your grandmother knew that sometimes some things will become uncomfortable. She knew remedies to help that discomfort go away. Okay? So. But, but, but still, I had to stand over the Dutch yeah, oven. Exactly. With that, with that hot ass. Hot, right. And you, know, and you, have, you have to stand in a certain position so that you don't, you know, <laughs> you know that all that was, that was crazy. But it didn't kill me. It did, and we we I I believe that there was a my husband even talks about you know we are Tuskegee graduates talk about <laughs> Booger T Washington who was a student at Hampton University as well. Um, we talk about the the things like the dignity of labor. You know, it's not just you know I don't want to feel pain. I don't want to feel uncomfortable at all. And we don't really realize how that affects us not having a con having a um not having a, what's the word, a capacity for discomfort, having a, having a capacity to say, okay. And then, and even when you're talking about birth, you're actually talking about the flow of birth. This, this is not a thing of where it's just going to constantly be this way. Birth is a thing. It's not, it's not even, yes, there's the discomfort and the, the, the whatever, but it's not. What happens, Andrea, when you go, Come on, pain. What happens right after that? The relief. Exactly. Exactly. So this wasn't as bad as I thought. When you see a fist come at your face, right? That's right. And you get the punch. Now, I've never been punched. I will never, never want, so don't think I'm coming from experience. Of course, of course. I'm too nerdy for that. But, <laughs> but. Girl, I run. I'd be like, okay, I'm sorry. I, just, <laughs> I don't, uh, uh, I am not, I am not that black girl. But, <clears throat> but what I'm saying is, 
when you feel when 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 the punch and I've I've played volleyball, so I have been knocked in the face and knocked in, and I see it coming because always some when you're in those situations, it's always you play it back. You're like, oh, I see it in slow motion, right? <laughs> when you're in a car accident, right? You see that car coming in slow. You like, oh, right? But the whole time you're gearing up for the impact, right? Or you're gearing up for the punch, or you're gearing up for that needle going in your arm. You're like, oh, Lord. It comes and you're like, oh. And then when it's done, even though you still have a big ass face, <laughs> yeah. or you have the bruises and a broken leg, maybe from the accident, there is a moment of that you go, oh, I think I can get through this. Yeah, yeah. There's always that moment. And then, and then there's going to be another, there's going to be another surge of, of, of energy, as my doula used to always say, Isabel Bedilly. Or no, I'm sorry, she's now Isabel Flagel. But Isabel, I got to give her credit. But Isabel, she would always call it energy surges. You get that, but it comes, but that's life. Yeah. When you got to do that test, you're like, oh, and you're taking a test, and then you're done, you're like, oh. But there's always a test. Yeah. At some point, you always got to take a test, driving test. Then you go to the, you know, ACT, and then you go, and then you take the GRE, and then you get, then you got to take the M, that, then exactly. you got to, you got to take that. You, it's always a test. This survey, ma'am, and that. So it's never a time where you could be like, oh, done with test. So I don't, I still don't understand, Andrea, where we get this. And you know the and, and you know the, the the you know the ironic thing is the medical industry says, oh, so you want to be you know all these women who want to be super women and they want to be holier than that and then thou and have these natural births. Actually, what's super what was what's holier than thou and thinking you better than anything is numbing your goddamn self from pain because you think, oh, I don't deserve this. So I'm gonna numb myself to it. I don't deserve it. So that's that's my issue. And um and, and, and I think people I've met so many countless women actually for whom the epidural didn't work. And people don't understand that it's not a foolproof thing. I know some women that only felt um they felt nothing except they felt all the pain in the vagina. I met people where it only worked on one side. And that because our bodies are not intended to navigate it in that way and to, to go through it that way, that leads to so many other things. Anything to make this one side of pain go away, the other one is the other side is dead. Anything to make this not happen, I only feel it in one place. And we don't realize how that does lead to other interventions and things like that. For you, what was the, what was the, um, what made you go home with the next baby? Uh, not dealing with, uh, not, I didn't want to take a risk and be with a midwife. M-E-D wife. I didn't say mid, I said medwife. I didn't want to risk that. Plus, I felt like I had gone through a wonderful all-natural experience. Um, and I, it was completely unmedicated. And it was a beautiful experience. That I felt confident. I was like, you know what? I got this. I, I don't need the hospital. And I, I got an amazing home birth midwife, Sarah Simmons, um, in the process. And, and I felt like she, even with, even at, 
UIC, I had 15 minute appointments. And I love Christine Harmon. Like she gave me her all, but she was confined by that. When I had Sarah Simmons, we have like an hour, hour and a half long appointments. She would know every meal I had for the last 15 years of my life. <laughs> she, knew, she knew how many times I farted and what they smelled like. You know, she'd be like, make sure the next fart smell like, you know, you know, Greek yogurt, you know, and like, so it was, it was, you know, it was this intimate, like, she was like my girlfriend, you know, and it was, it was, I remember going like, I was waiting for her to be like, get out of my house, you know, but she never did. She'd be like, okay, you know, I'm like, oh, I, I can stay, you know, and so it was, it was beautiful, and what was great, and that was great because my mother had a massive stroke while I was pregnant with my second son and I lost I lost my mother um even though my mother's still living to this very day everybody knows my mother's still living she's she's right she's probably in a couple rooms probably dead by now but um I, I I don't have the mother that I used to she's a very different woman and anybody who has experienced someone who's had traumatic brain injury you can understand um, she's, she's come a long way, but she is not the woman that she was. And she definitely wasn't the woman that she was, um, while I was pregnant with Jack. And so I lost that. Um, and I don't, it's, it's taken me years to admit that, but that was, it, it, it was very painful. Yeah. Very painful that I didn't have my mother with me. Um, toward the end of that pregnancy and Sarah was she stepped in Sarah stepped in and Sarah was like okay this is what you're gonna do you're <laughs> gonna get somebody to watch your mother while you take care of yourself. and like she 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 embraced me and I'm like how do you have time for this like you you birth like a million children a day but she made sure she was there for me and that's something that I really appreciate and love and, and honor and respect um and was yours was your was yours a water birth it was supposed to be a water birth <laughs> it was supposed to be a water birth right babe it was supposed to be a water birth but jack he was not waiting for anybody <laughs> jack was like i'm coming and i mean i'm coming right now so uh jack was a two and a half hour labor wow yeah and I wasn't ready for that because my first son was 24 hours. But I was thinking like, oh, we got time. Oh. When that, but like, it was like after 30 minutes, I was like, oh, oh, oh maybe we don't have time. <laughs> so I called Sarah again. I was like, uh, Sarah, you need to come now. She's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. You need. Um, and so literally by the time Sarah walked in my door, head was, head was there. Uh, <laughs> Um, and, and he, he was ready. So, and Sarah, and it was so funny, it's like, she walked in the door, my, my, my water, my water broke, right? And I was like, okay, and Craston, in his very, like, smooth, Craston, chill, zen way, that's my husband. Yes, he is. He got everything together, and girl, it was so funny, because, gosh, I love my husband, because it would be like, Cause we didn't plan it, but we had every, and I had everything in the corner, you know, but we didn't plan anything. And so I would close my eyes 
and I'd open and something else would be set up. Then I closed my eyes and I'd open and something else would be set. It was like, it was funny because like, it was like every, <laughs> it was like, it was like, like a, like a superhero movie. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, like, you know, and I, you know, it was really funny. Like, you know how those uh, films where, like, it'll go black and it'll come up and then something else is different and black and it'll come up. And, stuff. and that's really how it was. I'm like, why did you do that so quick? Because I would close my eyes to get through the energy surge. And then I open up and I'm like, oh, and then, then you know, um, Isabel came in right out. Like, that's how quick Sarah came. Sarah lived further away than Isabel, but it, she, Sarah got and as soon as she walked in the door, I was like, Psh! and I was like, oh, okay. I was like, oh my gosh. Cause I remember that's how my first son was born. He was all this labor for 24 hours and then Psh! his head came, his body came, right? And so when I said, I was like, oh, this is so quick. And so Sarah came in and I heard her talking to Crass and, 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 and I'm, you know, cause she saw, she saw the water, right? And so she walks in. And she kneels next to me and she whispers in my cheek, Rebecca, um, now I know you really want a water birth and I wanted you to have one. But this baby is coming really quickly. And by the time we set up the birth tub and warm it up, he's going to be here. So I'm sorry, we can still have a wonderful birth experience and everything's gonna go really well. Okay? And I was like, okay. <laughs> oh, I want my water burn so bad. But that, that little, ooh, that little, how did, how, how did Claston feel about the home birth? Was he on board? And you know what? My husband is really awesome because my my husband, he's oh, he's one of those like real spiritually deep, you know, analytical, metaphysical brothers. Um, and he after Jack was born, he was like, I'm good like I've had all the experiences. So with his first Crasson was married before me and he has a daughter from that marriage who's graduating Saturday yeah. um, from high school. And he said she, so his first wife, she had the epidural and she was in the hospital and they formula fed and they, um, they had disposable diapers and they did, you know, um, everything. Like they did all the Western medicine things, right? Uh, <laughs> and with rice. It was in the hospital, but it was through the midwife, my wife, and it was very natural. And it was more, it was, he said, the lights were low and, and everything was real quiet. And it was this very intimate experience. And I breastfed exclusively forever. Um, and we cloth diapered. And then with Jack, he had this home birth. And, and Sarah, Sarah was real slick with this one. Uh, she didn't tell Crafton, but literally, like, right as Jack is coming out, and I was about to grab Jack, and she goes, would you like Crafton to grab him? I was like, yeah. And she turns to Crafton, she's like, Crafton, come here. You're done. You're going to grab the baby. And Crafton's like, oh, oh, no, 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 oh. And she's like, you can do this. And girl, she formed his hand. She's like, you can do this. And, uh, 
He's like, oh, okay, okay. And he came. And so Craftsman was like, to go from her, his first child's experience all the way to the end, being in our, our living room and pulling Jack out, he was like, it was, it was amazing. Ah. And he was like, so he can say, and that's why sometimes he would come to my breastfeeding classes or my, my birth worker events, and he would say, I have seen it all. You know, so I know what these different phases are. Um, and I can tell you, the, I can tell you what comes afterwards and how things result very differently. Um, so, yeah. It's, so, yeah, he, he, he lied. And I'm trying to be, you know, I'm trying to be very careful with my words because um, I remember when India was very little and I would bring her to all these breastfeeding conferences, you know, and pro-woman and womb energy and, you know, and she, and she would see me pull up my shirt and nurse my, you know, my, and they're her brothers, and she was, and I bring her, and she'd be right off. All, all these women, like, yes, woo, birth our vaginas, we own them, woo. yes. And, and I would bring her around these things. One because I didn't have a babysitter, and two, <laughs> two, I would bring her because I knew conversations weren't being had in that level. Yeah. Um, and so at one point she was scared to get her period. Like she was like, like she, you would, she would say it and she would start crying. And I was like, oh, we've got to change our energy right now. Cause there's nothing wrong with getting your period, honey. So like we, so I, I had a, like a whole conversation with her about it. And so I would bring her to these conferences with me. And I remember one day driving back. Um, and I think at this point she was pretty much a pro. Like she knew to bring her little coloring book. She knew <laughs> she knew when to tune in and when to tune out. And we, we were driving back, and she said, "Rebecca, um, I wasn't breastfed." I said, "No, you weren't, sweetheart." And she said, "Does that make me a bad child?" And I said, "No." Oh my God, no, I, said, I wasn't breastfed. I'm not a bad person. I'm not, I wasn't a bad child. And so I realized I had to watch the way I formed my words and the way I talked about birth empowerment and breastfeeding yes. empowerment. Because there are mothers out there and children out there and people out there who have never experienced, who weren't birthed in a natural form, who weren't breastfed, um, and weren't even reared in a very like, you know, no processed sugar environment, yeah. you know? Um, and I don't ever want them to at any point think, am I not right? Because I've been in those situations. I've been, you know, and you know, as a black woman, you we always are in those situations. Like, well, yeah, am I not beautiful? You know, so like, I don't ever. So of course, we had like when we got home, I had to sit. I'm like, okay, now remember what you asked me in the car. Let's 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 go back to that. You know, and so we had to. And so luckily now she's 17 and going off to college in the fall. She realizes like, oh, I get it. Like, I get it. I get it, Rebecca. Like, 
I get what happened in the process. So your mother was an amazing mother, is an amazing mother, great mother. Like she, I mean, cause India is amazing. And Tiffany did an amazing job like as a mother. Um, it, it's just that we just have to like watch, watch how we do that. And so that's why I'm like really careful about how I talk about my birth experience and how it so much empowered me because truly I saw God in both my birth experiences. Wow. And I'm so, so before I ask you about all the wonderful things you're doing now, as you said, birth, that birth part of you, that part of your existence has, has kind of moved on. It's, it's a thing that impacted. Does anybody here in Chicago knows and other places, but Chicago, you cannot talk about breastfeeding and you cannot talk about Rebecca and people not know who you are talking about. Shut up. No. I it's the truth. Unless they unless they just had a baby. If they were here when you were here, honey legend. But I do remember that you honey, she's exaggerating. Please don't Okay, up. just try it. Yeah, just try it. Uh I I do remember you saying you talked you've talked before publicly about the challenges. I don't know if you said you had challenges breastfeeding, but you talked about no, no, you talked about um those who come from abusive situations um, because that was part of your experience. Um, could you just kind of say, speak about whether it's your experience or just some words to women who come from that place who have had experiences with their breasts prior to birth um, that make them say, mm -mm, not for me. Breastfeeding, I could never. Um, okay, let's just say it. I was molested. I was molested for years as a child. I have talked about it so much so that I, it, and I'm so glad, and I've gone through many years of licensed clinical therapy <laughs> um, that now I can say it and it, it doesn't, I mean, it, the only thing it triggers is empowerment at this point. Um, and I'm so glad that I have been able to change that energy with myself so i don't i don't mind i can even talk about it in detail um but i don't because i know it triggers other people so that's yeah. why i'm always very conscious of that but um i was molested by my older cousin who is seven years older than me um so she knew what she was doing and yes it was a girl and that's where i get really frustrated with this whole sexual abuse community that they make sexual abuse just a male abuser thing and there are plenty of female abusers and we need to stop isolating those of us who've been abused by females we need to be very real there are a lot of women women out there who are abusing sexually boys and girls and we need to acknowledge that because I think a lot of times we're so quick, like, oh, I'll leave, I'll leave my children with her because she's a girl, you know, or she's a woman, you know. But when you're leaving with a teenage boy, you're like, oh, I don't know, boy. No, it's also, and I need you to be mindful. I just, it's a person. You need mm -hmm. to know who you're leaving your children with. Um, and my cousin would do it right when there were elders in the next room. She was that bold. Um, and I really thought, I was like, oh, this means she loves me. And, and so I grew up from, I, I don't even know when it began. I know I was probably like three or four when it started, maybe. Um, and she did it, I want to say it stopped probably when I was like 10. 
11. I, again, it, because it was so traumatic in my life, I, I can't tell you the definite start and stop, but I can tell you it happened. And I had witnesses um, of other cousins who witnessed it. Um, in, the, in the meantime, I have been able to contact her and basically tell her, you owe me a gigantic apology. And, it, and that all stemmed from breastfeeding. That I got, I got that, I was able to take this abuse and heal from it through breastfeeding. And, and that's why, that's why breast, see, breastfeeding is more than just putting your baby to your breast. Breastfeeding is so much more. And that's why I get so frustrated with formula companies and the medical profession and even some of these lactation specialists and IBCLCs when they make everything so freaking clinical. Because yeah. we have to understand that there is a mental and spiritual component to breastfeeding that is so healing. Anyway, so yeah, the first I remember the first time that, and I, I wrote a blog about it, a guest blog on Blactating, who is, which is Alita uh, Kalma's blog. And, and she asked me, right? And I said, I, I said, I'll write about my molestation experience. She was like, great. Uh, and I did. And, we, and it's, it's all laid out in that blog. But what I said was, um, that blog post, but what I said was, um, when thrice, went on my breast the very first time. That's my oldest son. Uh, and Isabel Flagle helped me. And it was right after he was birthed. And I remember, I remember being like, wow, like this is so amazing. But at the same time, like right after I thought that this is so amazing, boom, the devil kicked in. And I remember going, oh my God, everybody can look at my breast. Now, for a lot of people, they're like, yeah, that's everybody. Like, everybody thinks that. It was on a different level. It was like, oh, my God. Like, this, these are bad. These are evil. These are awful. This is something that I've never really been comfortable with because these were violated from the very beginning. And so I went on for the next two or three weeks having insane breastfeeding problems. My nipples were cracked and bleeding. And, and I mean, it was like fire trying to get him and he was always wanting to nurse. And when I would nurse, it was just like, ah, like my toes would curl, everything. And I sought help from Patricia, um, I mean, uh, Patrice, Patrice Perez. And Patrice Perez was so awesome. And she was like, oh, just do it. And she helped me over the phone. And I started to be like very like mindful about my latch. Things started to get better. But in the intuitive person I am, I don't ever let issues come into my life and I'm like, oh, it's over. Because I know that it's going to come back if I don't deal with it, if I don't break them down, if I don't analyze them. And like, like, why the hell did I go through this? Now, through that three weeks of hell, <laughs> um, I literally did not want to nurse my son. And I remember through the process of going, I don't want to nurse him. I, have, I can just hold him. But if I hold him, he's going to want to nurse. And I'm like, but if I nurse, like, and I, for a second, I was like, but he's putting his mouth on my breast. How sexual is that? Is that a sexual act? Like, I was, like, going through all this, right? 
And all along, like, I was suppressing that. I was like, oh, Rebecca, Rebecca, let, let it go. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. Like, it was an insane cycle of this. And you know that newborn nurses all the time. So I'm constantly having all these thoughts of connecting. And I was like, I don't understand. So after the three weeks, when things started to get better and heal, I was able to, like, relax and go, wait, what was going on? Like, what? let me unpack these feelings I felt. Why did I want to hold my son? Because that ain't normal. That ain't right. Why did, I, why did I get angry with my son every time he showed signs of feeding? He's a baby. How are you going to get upset with a 10-day-old? Be like, ah, ah, ah. you know, what, so what is that? And so I started to look at it, and what it was, I didn't want to be intimate with my son. Wow. Okay, so then why didn't I want to be intimate with my son? Okay, let's think about that. Like literally, the way I'm at, like where I'm breaking things out, I literally would sit there and hold in nursing doing all, throughout several days. Like I'm going through this. And I'm like, okay, so why don't I want to be intimate with my son? Why have I not bonded with him like this? Why don't why am I not in this crazy love with him? Right? That everybody talks about. And so I had to think about it and I was like. I don't like to be touched. Okay. Now, mind you, I'm 30 years old. I've never analyzed this shit. Like, right? I've had boyfriends be like, I don't understand. You don't like the whole hands. I don't understand. You don't. And I'm like, oh, shut up. Oh, my God. You know, like, you know, I, I was never forced to sit back and go, wait, because I never had something that came from me that I had to question, right? And so I'm sitting there like, okay, okay, I don't like to be touched. Why don't I like to be touched? Because I don't want people... I, this is a violation. Well, why do I feel like I'm being violated when somebody wants to hug me and touch me and be intimate with me? And it doesn't even have to be sexual. Oh, I think every damn touch is sexual. Well, why do I think every damn touch is sexual? And like all this, I'm like breaking it all down. And finally I got to the core of it and I was like, I'm, I, I was abused and I never healed from it. And I constantly question whether or not I'm to blame. Maybe I was stupid or, okay, I wasn't. Okay, I was just five years old. Okay. You know, and then, then you got to break down that. And then you're like, okay, but why did I, why didn't I tell my mother? Why didn't I say anything? Does it mean I'm stupid and I wanted it? I, I thought I liked the attention. Does that make me a bad person? No, okay. So like I had to go through all that, Andrea. And then finally I got to the point where I was like, okay, Rebecca, I forgive you. And I remember this was probably like a week. This was probably maybe a little less than a week later. And I remember lit, like my son was on the couch next to me asleep. And I was sitting there thinking, and it was, I didn't have nothing on. I have, I mean, I had clothes. Like I didn't have the television on. I didn't have radio on. I had my laptop on. And I was just in this like apartment. And I just said, Rebecca, I forgive you. I forgive you. You know, it's okay. And I broke down crying. And I was like, oh my God, like, I didn't know. Like, and I just got this anger, like I, this anger surged up. 
And I was like, okay, so this is my next step. Now I got to deal with this. And I acknowledged that. I totally acknowledged that in that point. And after that, breastfeeding was like so easy. I can't even, like, he, I, would, I would pick him up even before he gave me signs of, of feeding. Like, I held him. I literally, and I kid you not, that night, the surge of that, like, love cocktail came up. And I saw my son, like, I was like, oh, my God, I love him. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. This is what everybody's been talking about. And it took a month. It took a month. And, and I was like, and after that, I bonded with my son so well. But it, it, was, it was doing that work. And I think, and I want to say the reason why I was able to do that work, because I have been going to therapy since I was 12 years old, Andrea. I want you to, so this is not something that like I just knew how to do. Yeah. Like, this was years of of being taught how to psychoanalyze myself. And and this is this is sitting like I said, sitting with master teachers. You know, this is this is with sitting with sisters who, you know, be like, honey, you know, this is with my grandmother who who would tell me who, like, you know, and, and, and in black in the black community, we can all say, there's always somebody in our family who can see, right? Every, every black family got that aunt. Oh, yeah. Every black family got that elder cousin who is a little weird and what they say touched. <laughs> they be coming up to you and they, they be like, I had a dream. I had my dream. And you be like, oh Lord, she had a dream. Somebody about to die. You know what's the or 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 you know my hand itched. You gonna get some money. Some money. <laughs> you get a job. You be like, oh my gosh, Aunt Bessie told me her hand itched. That's what she told me. So like I came from a long line of black intuitive people. My mom, my mom is intuitive. She would have a dream. My aunt Gladys, she she would have dreams. My grandmother, she would she would see stuff. My grandmother would see stuff, and she wouldn't tell us to like like three months later. She'd be like, "Yeah, I knew this was gonna happen." I was sitting in the chair one day and I saw something, and we'd be like, "Oh Lord, Grandma, what you see?" You know, and, and so so when I say this. With all the psychoanalyzing that I did and I was trained to do with all the metaphysics, with all the master teachers, like I said, I told I had an awesome damn life, Andrea. I mean, and so here I am. I, I, so I, my grandmother has always taught me, Becky, listen, listen to your, listen to your first mind. So like I knew with all that, I'm like, I know I have power to break my feelings down. Yes, I did. And it's been a process. But, you know, even then, it didn't, ha it wasn't like, oh, okay, I'm healed. Like, I had to work through that anger, Andrea. Oh, gosh. Like, and I think what really started to change that anger was the birth of my second son at home, right? Having to go through the process of my mom having that massive stroke while I was six months pregnant. And having to, having to, having an almost two-year-old and and being pregnant and, and, and bathing my mom and making sure she got fed 
like literally like and, and putting that gel in there so she could swallow her food and um you know and and making sure she strap her to her her wheelchair so she'd get on there so she can go to rehab while making sure I changed my son's diapers and I'm an only child and my dad died you know years earlier and so I'm and so I would sit back I'm like why the hell why the hell is this on me but all that and I had to get through that with my second son and I was like you know I I've overcome all this stuff and I've never complained and I've never and then I was like maybe that's my job and again going back to who am I to think I should never experience pain exactly who, who, do I think I'm better than anybody and and don't I I've always said from the time I was born Andrea I mean I, when I was a little girl first thought I always knew I wanted to be this huge gigantic famous person I always knew I, I never 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 doubt in my mind I always knew always knew I was going to be on massive stages and and do amazing things on film and television and theater. Yeah. I always knew. I always knew. And I always wanted this big, and I wanted to like impact the world. I would always say things like, you know, when your teachers ask, what do you want to do? And go, I would stand up and be like, I'm going to be a super famous person that's going to change the world. And I would always say stuff like that. I always say, and, when, and I remember this girl, I'm not going to say her name because she's my Facebook friend, but she was from middle school and she was like, everybody gets famous and do you why would you think you know how hard it is to be and i and i looked at her and be like oh this trick don't know me <laughs> right and so i had to sit back and look at my life andrea and i said if i want to be that person then why not so then why not have a mother who had a massive stroke when i was yeah. six months old and i had less than a two-year-old then why not have to deal with the fact that I had a boyfriend I lived with who died, you know, in a motorcycle accident. And I literally had to pick my life up while I was on, the, on understudying for the Second City's main stage. Why not? Like, why not? Why, why not have to go through these experiences? Why not that at birth I almost died? And I was in the, I was in the NICU for eight weeks, barely. And everybody thought, oh, Lord, this is it. She ain't going to make it. But then somehow, my mom said at six weeks, I just decided to live. And doctors didn't know. Nobody understood why, but I did. And so, like, it's like, so why not? Why not? Why can't that be my story? So that's why I had to change. And I said, why be angry about that? Why don't you, why don't you love that? How does that inform what you're doing now? Like your stage life and okay. so you got yeah. this whole Becky thing going in. Uh, well, okay, so yes, yeah, so I, I did a I did a short film in the Midst of Morons, and my friend Dre helped me. He counseled me through it because I did that. I, I had a friend of mine help help me. She um she was executive producer of it, but she was also the director, and I was the producer of it, and I did everything, and I wrote it, and he coached me through it because I was about to be insane, and then because I was in grad school at the time too. Yes. And, and so I did all that. And so after that was done, like Dre called me a few days later after the shoot was done. And he was like, you want to do a 10 minute film project? And I was like, sure. And after I said, I'm like, why am I saying yes to this? I ain't got no money. I ain't got no time. <laughs> you know? And so I did. And it ended up being where now we have a web series. Cause like we took that short 10 minute film and we we're like, okay, so what are we going to do with this? 
be like, okay. I said, well, why don't we just submit it to film festivals? And we did, and we started winning awards. And people were like, people would pull us aside and be like, this is good. And I'm like, really? Like, I wrote this in a week. Like, <laughs> like, like, no, you guys have to see the work that I've been working on for two years. Like, this ain't nothing. Like, you know? And they're like, what? Um, and, I mean, people, like, love Dre and they love me and they're like okay we, we gotta see you somewhere and so we've been we started we started filming other episodes and we did a crowdfunding and then we we're like okay let's let's wrap this up and then we're gonna do this final episode and while we were gearing up for that we got a phone call from a network and that's why in the yeah I know Audrey you don't know the deal we got a phone call from a network and we were like, what? Like, we weren't even, we were going to plan that for, like, later this year when we were going to go in and pitch and, you know. And they reached out to us. And they were like, okay, we want your show. We want to license it. We want we want, to, we want to help fund the rest of the season. And we want to do this. And we're going to put it on our streaming platform. And we're going to do this. And we were like, <laughs> what? And I think, Andrea, what happened was I heard no so much over the last 10 years no no we don't have any funding for that no we can't do oh no that's not in our budget no and this is in lactation this is in education this is like this is not just in film itself like i've heard no so many times in my life that when now i hear a yes i don't know how to take it like i'll be like wait wait what'd you say and then like they say yes again and i get off the phone and i call my friend dre and i'm like dre Something's up. Something ain't right. <laughs> this is a hoax. You know, this is fake news, right? And so, but I had to stop and I go, no, Rebecca, people do want your work. So that's what we're doing now. We're, we are wrapping up negotiations because we got to make sure we get the money right. We got to make sure we get the legalities right. Uh, we, have an, we have an attorney working and doing stuff. And, uh, and so we've kind of laid low. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I, I started going back and I started doing a sketch comedy show. I met this amazing woman last summer. Her name is Rebecca Fox. And I was like, and she, she did, she did sketch comedy in Chicago. She graduated from Northwestern actually, but she's from here. And I was like, let's do a sketch comedy show together. And she was like, oh my gosh, you gotta do it. Let's do it now. She was like, she was like, I was waiting for this moment. And so we did it. We sold out three out of the four nights. We were asked to come to the Women's Theater Festival. We're going to perform it at the Women's Theater Festival. And Rebecca's like, come on, let's go. Let's take it on the road. So now um, over these next couple months, we're going to kind of like look at the business side of it and sort of figure out how to do that while still being moms and other stuff. But um, so that's, that's where I am now. Also, um, something that I have kept very hush. <laughs> Super duper hush because it's it's a very intimate project. Um, I started in grad school and I had been very blessed to meet amazing people in grad school. Uh, and one very amazing person who's very powerful in the television industry. I am not going to name his name because I don't know if he wants me to name his name. But um, okay, okay, I'm wrapping it up. <laughs> Husband's like he wants to go to bed. I'm in the bedroom. Um, okay. 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 But, um, it's a one-hour dramedy, and it's called Doula, and it is yes, 
is called Dula. And I'm not going to get into the details of what it's about because even though I did copyright it, um, I, I don't trust white folks out there. So I'm just going to keep it real. I don't trust white people. So, uh, <laughs> especially in the industry. But um, let's just say that I'm working on perfecting it and making sure that it lands in, it's landed in the right hand. That's all I have to say, in the right hand to this one particular person. Um, but this one particular person is helping me to land it in the right network. And so that's, that's where I am right now. Um, and so I have other projects on the thing, but, but um, yeah, so that's what I'm doing. Um, and I'm, I'm doing my best to, and I'm not getting paid by any of this. <laughs> I'm not, I was supposed to move to Atlanta this summer and Crafton and I, we had to like sit down and look at our finances and it's just not gonna happen. But I was like, I'm gonna get a job in Atlanta. So I'm looking for a job in Atlanta. If you know anybody here that would love to hire me in Atlanta, please, um, <laughs> please reach out to me. But otherwise, yeah, that's it. Um, I just love you to bits and pieces. And <laughs> you know, you're one of my long interviews. Some of them, it's easy to be like, okay, tight hour. We're gonna do it in an hour. I feel so bad. We've been here for two hours. I'm so sorry. No! Oh, listen, you're not the only You'll do part one, part two with me. <laughs> you're, you're not the only one. It's a few of you guys where it's just like, it's such, it just goes that way. And I always arrange it so that it can. Tell people how they can get in contact with you, find and see your work. I like people, Andrea. So I, I know. I, I, I actually despise people. Um, I know. If you are black, if you are cool, like, <laughs> if you are white, please don't contact me. Like, I'm honest to God. Like, I'm so serious. Andrea, I'm so tired of 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 holding hands with white folks. I really am. That's, I, I can don't, tell. That's with Rebecca Fox because I knew I didn't have to hold her hand. That's <laughs> right, because she's a white woman, right? She's a white woman. She's Jewish. Um, and I knew she sitting down talking to her I was like you know she cool people like I I'm not gonna have to I'm not gonna have to deal with her white fragility like she she'd be like I'm you know she she owns it and she knows how to work through it so um that's that's why I, like you know very few I have very few patients and the and and the and the white man who's helping me now with um with my script like I said very powerful person in the industry like he gets me and he lets me be as black as I can be. Uh, he's never told me to turn it, tone it down in my script about a black doula um, who lives in Chicago. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's never, he's never told me to turn it down. And that's a beautiful thing. So no, but I'm joking. I mean, if you're white, you can contact me. <laughs> I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna, I will give you side eye, but you can contact me. But yeah, so you can contact me. My, my, my email address is Rebecca Jackson Artist at gmail and that's no t at the end of that a-r-t-i-s um one word my i'm on facebook rebecca jackson artist please don't friend me serious and, and that's i'm real serious about that girl i'm we I'm know most yeah most of your stuff on there is private it's very private i don't and i and now lately it seems like i don't know what's happening i think people have been spreading some of my work because literally over the last three weeks i've had massive people request me as a friend and i'm like 
who are these people? Like, I don't know you. And I'd be like, just like my page. And then they give me attitude. They'd be like, I'm trying to be your Facebook friend. I'm like, dude, like, I'm not, like, my, my whole energy is changing. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm really viewing myself as I'm a very important person. And there's only a few people I really want to know my business, right? Um, so, yeah, so I'm just like my page on Facebook. Please do not request me as a Facebook friend because I will deny you. Um, and Instagram. And Instagram, I'm Rebe Jack Art, R-E-B-E-J-A-C-K-A-R-T. Uh, and on Twitter, I'm Rebecca J- Jack Art. But really, I don't really do Twitter. Twitter is overwhelming to me. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. And, and LinkedIn, if you want to link, if you want to connect, look, I have all these rules. If you want to connect, <laughs> if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, please, please be about something. Like, don't be posting crazy stuff. It's LinkedIn. Okay. I need you to be professional. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. And, and, um, so yeah, that's it. That's pretty much it. And also just please look at like the Rebecca show, like totally Becky on Facebook, like, like it and and follow us. And that's how you really will know what I'm doing when I'm doing it. Yes. And I, once again, I just love you. I prepared myself. I have been tearing, crying, wiping my eyes the entire time. I will put a disclaimer for the people because I do not edit and I, and I do not censor. Please, please put a disclaimer because Andrea, I don't want people thinking, you know, I look y'all, Andrea is a great person. She is not like me. I am not a great person. Andrea is a great person. She made the mistake by having me on the show. Don't punish her. From making that mistake, okay? don't I? You know, I'll let you know. So there you go. There's your disclaimer. Look, you are ridiculous. Look, let me tell you. I just appreciate you. I believe that all of our voices need to be heard, and that there is no right way to say it. Right. <laughs> with White all people of people are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and without and with everything that you've contributed. I, I, I just congratulate you for this new, not new, because you've been doing theater and stuff. Yeah. I mean, that was your major or something, right? That was your yeah, ma- I'm a theater major, and I, and I got my MFA last year. In yeah. Australia. So I just congratulate you for, you know, going through that phase and all that you contributed while you were in birth culture. Thank you for everything. Well, thank you, Audrey. And I think you're amazing. And that's why everybody who contacts me, they're like, I'm looking for a black doula in Chicago. And I'm like, let me share her contact. <laughs> and it does that, that little, like, you know, when you send your tweet. And I'm like, or, or text. And that's what I do. I'm like, you, 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 you. So well, thank it. you. I will let Craston go to bed now. Girl, he gave me the nastiest look. Just I know he did. I have to be like, wait, all the time. You be like, you know, somebody with the husband, you be like, wait, do I need to remind you? I was up here like this. Hey, quiet down, people. Quiet. I was just snapping. Quiet down. We're still talking to Rebecca. But anyway, I love you, sis. And I thank you. And everybody, I will have her information listed below. So look for that under the video. But I want to thank you once again. I loved and enjoyed every minute of time. I loved and enjoyed everything you shared. I know it's going to bless, benefit, yes. help some young mothers. So thank
Thank you. Mwah. I love you, love you, love you. Love you. Okay. Take care.